0: Your service matters, whether you're in the military or you're a
1: journalist or you're a teacher or a fireman, first responder, it matters
2: when you serve. It's about a purpose-driven life. People wanted to ask me how my my child wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? I said, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? We all show some form of valor.
1: Common people doing uncommon things
2: loyalty, duty, honor, respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage. They laid down everything to go to war for us so we can be free to sit here and talk this podcast. Why? Why did you do it? What impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your life? It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love, clear convictions and beliefs. It's important in a democracy for us to know
0: that freedom isn't free. The Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation is exactly the right name for that foundation to inform the American public about the ideals and the virtues and the heroism of people like Bob Feller.
2: Bob Feller, he said, my one piece of advice is read our Constitution and run your lives according to the Constitution. We swear an oath to a document that stands for freedom, makes this
1: experiment that we call the United States of America.
2: We are not perfect, but we hold the moral high ground. We are trying to, in the words of our founding document, in order to form a more perfect union. There are going to be some tough calls to make the world safer, better, to represent those values.
0: We can continue to make this world a much, much better place.
2: Today,
1: we are honored to have on J.C. Glick, uh, who's a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army and is now the national director for MVP, which is Merging Vets and Players, in which he oversees program management, strategy, promotion, and development. Uh, J.C., thanks for taking the time to join us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. If you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your story and your career that's led you to being at MVP? Uh, yeah, so... Um... As you said, I
0: did, uh, I did 20 years in the army, um, retired about five years ago. Um, during that time, uh, I was fortunate enough to serve most of my time, um, in the Ranger Regiment or the asymmetric warfare group. Um, and I was absolutely honored to, uh, conduct 11 combat deployments. Um, when, uh, when I left uh, the military, uh, you know, I, I started doing leadership consulting, uh, primarily for athletic teams, uh, professional teams, and uh, and corporations. Um, but realized that uh, that really wasn't enough. Uh, I wasn't getting kind of a sense of purpose, the same purpose that I had when I served. So. Uh, wrote a couple of books. I still wasn't there. And luckily, I met uh, Jay Glazer, who founded uh, with Nate Boyer, uh, merging vets and players. Um, And it seemed to be a really good fit, um, merging former combat veterans with former professional and elite athletes, uh, because I think there's a lot of similarities there. And helping them kind of have this, this new team as they Uh, transition from taking off a uniform, whether it's a sports uniform or a military uniform, and moving on to the next uh, phase of their lives.
1: Yeah, and that was one of the questions I I was going to want to get into eventually, um, but you kind of already alluded to it, that um, it's combat veterans and professional elite athletes coming together what are some of the the similar issues that you refer to that they face i think the obvious one that came to mind for me was the the camaraderie of being in a locker room um or being with your your brothers and sisters in arms so what are some of the the difficulties that they face that are similar or maybe some that are different yeah
0: so obviously you nailed it i mean there's the team room locker room concept right where you're with your brothers and sisters and there's this there's this uh sense of camaraderie that's, that's, that you've been united through a common vision, a common purpose, a common task. Um, I think that there is a, a, an identity issue, uh, certainly when I went through, um, uh, when I left service, which is, uh, you know, who are you now that you're not an army ranger or you know, in combat, who are you, what are you, right? Especially, uh, I think, professional athletes and military are, you know, we we both share this uh, habit of identifying who we are with what we do. Um, and I think that when you take the uniform off, I think all of a sudden you, you have a little bit of an identity crisis. Um, and then there's kind of the sense of, Um, service. And it's funny because a lot of people don't think that athletes serve anyone but themselves. Uh, And I I find that to be absolutely opposite. Professional athletes serve their teammates, right? Their goal is to make their team and their teammates better. Um, The soldier serves their unit and their their brothers and sisters um, to make them better. And I think that there's a there's a very shared service to others. And then finally, um, there's kind of the scars piece, right? Um, whether they're physical or mental, I think we both uh, struggle with sometimes the physical injuries and and uh, and abuses that we take over uh, over a career. Um, and then there's the mental, uh, you know, the number of concussions or or the trauma that we face. And um, you know, I don't do comparative analysis. The, the, the trauma that that I faced is real trauma to me. The trauma that my good friends say, Eric Wilson, who played 14 years in the NFL, CFL, and NFL Europe, he experienced other traumas that affect him. And those traumas uh, have an impact on, on our brain chemistry. and And so we can we can look at each other and relate to traumas and relate to and kind of work with each other to feel better in that peer-to-peer relationship.
2: What are some programs that MVP puts on um, to help with this identity crisis that both former professional athletes and servicemen and women are dealing with?
0: Well, the, the first, the, probably the base of our program is, you know, our membership uh, participates in program once a week, when the program looks like um, about thirty minutes of a workout, uh, and then uh, another hour to ninety minutes of peer-to-peer discussion, um, and and it's very very focused. So the so the physical part is not just because both of us had physical you know training and physical activity as part of our backgrounds right in the military you did pt every day if you're a professional athlete you worked out every day um so it not only bonds us there in this in this kind of sense of familiarity but it also bonds us in that um scientific studies have shown that um when we work out it affects the parts of the brain right behind the prefrontal cortex that uh Give us the ability to show compassion and empathy, and feel those things in a much greater state. So the workout, you know, physiologically prepares our brain for the work that's about to happen, and then the huddle. So the huddle is just peer-to-peer counseling, where we where we spend our time sharing our wins, uh, our challenges, maybe our perceived losses, maybe our our, our current struggles or future struggles. And we share them with a group of, of men and women that understand us and get us. And it's free of judgment. And we, can de- we deserve to be proud of our scars. We deserve to be proud of ourselves. And what, we're de- what studies have shown also physiologically is that that peer-to-peer piece um, exercises the prefrontal cortex part of our brain that helps regulate emotion. So it, it's funny. It's, you know, people are like, oh, well, it's just a bunch of people talking to each other. Yes, and there's scientific studies that shows that the brains the brain changes um, and, and we build neuroplasticity in that process of talking to each other. We are better able, we come out better able to regulate our emotions and think through problems and better operate the prefrontal cortex, which is complex decision-making, etc. Um, additionally, you know, that's that's just the program, and we do program. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday uh, across the country, in all five chapters. And we have some people, because we're virtual, because of COVID, that go to every single um, uh, chapter's session. Um, Additionally, we have this community where, um, you know, I probably text back and forth with members all over the country, I, I don't know, 20 times a day, right? And it's this tribe. Uh, this unit that I that I didn't have, except for my my ranger buddies who I served with um, in the civilian world where I can I can, you know, be very transparent, I can be very vulnerable, or I can just check in. And this community, I mean, we do all sorts of stuff together. So we do virtual challenges, um, you know, whether they're physical, uh, we have a reading group, um, now people are very interested in like short articles. So we send each other short articles to discuss, uh, over other zoom calls. So it's really about being there for each other. Cause, cause problems don't happen just when there's programs, problems happen all the time. One of the great things about being on a team or being in the military, when we had a problem, we could call our buddies anytime, day or night and have somebody there to, to help us. Well, I think that's what we have again now. I know, um, you know, a number of athletes who I can call. I know a number of veterans I can call. And they all know they can call me. And there's that that brotherhood and sisterhood that just exists.
1: Yeah, and I watched a video and I was going to ask you about, you know, the, the physical part, but also the um... – Peer to peer sessions. Um, We spoke with Chad Lennon and and Kevin Hertel, who he's the founder of the uh, suicide awareness and remembrance flag
2: um,
1: about the idea of warrior culture and their battles with PTSD specifically pertaining to um, the veteran veteran suicide um, when it was leading up to Chad's Walk for Valor. A couple weeks ago, Um, in your experience, how much of a difference does it make knowing that you have someone, whether it's through MVP or your family or you know your prior teammates, whether it's military or sports? How much of an impact does that make in dealing with your mental health issues and really trying to address finding out who you are outside of either the military or sports?
0: Yeah, I think it's imperative to have a network, right, a support network. Um, And there is a difference between I, I learned this over you know five years of being a civilian um military folks are not good at networking we're good at building relationships right i would argue professional athletes are not good at networking they're good at building relationships um and and again you can you you see the similarity because you come into a new team or you come into a new unit and you have to build bonds very very quickly because you go and execute especially since 2001 you go and execute, you know, right away, you're, you you're, you're immediately tasked with what you're supposed to do for a living, um, whether that's combat or win games. Um, and then you'll move to another unit or another team. And we build these close relationships where we can, we can call on each other and we can rely on each other. And in MVP, we have this, this, um, this saying, it's, I got your back. And that means different things to different people, uh, but in MVP, it means I am there for you in a non-judgmental way to provide you support, how you need to receive it, which is which is something that I think we got in the military, and and certainly uh, we get in professional sports. So I think it's imperative to have this this support structure of relationships. Um, look, suicide. You know, I am not so I, I, I was fortunate enough to do the walk with Chad, uh, actually a couple of MVPers. uh, you know, Chad's an MVPer, um, Eric Wilson and Tommy Rodriguez. So I told you, Eric Wilson, you know, 14 years playing football and Tommy Rodriguez is a three time, uh, world champion kickboxer. And the, the four of us, you know, uh, did the walk together the whole time. And, um, That same weekend, I found out that uh, one of my rangers from when I commanded in Charlie 175 killed himself. I don't have any expectation that will eliminate veteran suicide because in the world we haven't eliminated suicide. There's gonna be a percentage. But what we have to do, what we absolutely have to do is minimize the number of suicides, prepare our, our, our people before they get to that point. Where they're thinking about committing suicide. Um, we, we have to get there sooner um, and we have to prepare them with with resiliency and we have to prepare them with a support structure that again is is judgment-free and um, and that's you know we can we can absolutely do the walks and the push-ups and and I appreciate all that but they don't end veteran suicide well and I and and, and what we have to do is right now, um, you know, we can argue whether it's 22 a day or 20 a day, depends if you're listening to the VA or if you look at what numbers have been skewed, but let's just go with the minimum that the government is saying is 20 a day. Let's get down that, that down at least to 15. Let's start, it, let's, let's start knocking it down. Let's start, you know, knocking that number down. And, and oh, by the way, just even right now in COVID, we're seeing, you know, uh, a study just came out, men 18 to 35, you know, 70-something percent considered suicide during COVID quarantine. We have a mental health issue uh, that exists in this country, and it's something that affects us all and we probably ought to focus on. it. And I think that one of the ways to focus on it is to create those um those, those relationships that, um, are, are beneficial to, uh, that are mutually beneficial. And I think that's imperative. I, I think if we don't do that, we're probably doing a lot of it for not.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, I, obviously we have a, a mental health issue. It's, it's really prevalent, especially during times like this, when we're stuck inside, we can't go out and do things. Um, we have concerns about everything. Uh, But I definitely think with with the help of MVP and and doing walks and raising awareness and the the SAR flag, you know, all these things are doing great things and taking, you know, great steps towards um, hopefully eliminating the problem. Um, But as as you mentioned, I don't think you can ever truly um, eliminate it. Um, But what are some things that um, you've seen MVP grow in uh, over the last, you know, however many years? Um, what are some things that you've seen MVP develop and improve upon since when, you know, you first joined them? Well, I'm, I'm still
0: a newbie. I may be one of the newer members as, I mean, they've really just, we just opened our fifth chapter in New York, uh, in February, right before COVID hit. And then we had one session in person and then everything went virtual, um, you know, obviously, MVP has grown from one chapter to five, and it looks like we're going to open a sixth chapter and a seventh chapter very soon, um, with, a, with a goal of being uh, in, in all 32 NFL cities, and quite honestly, where we ought to probably be is also where every major military base is, because a combat veteran is not just someone who's retired or out, it's somebody who went to combat. And and we've got it. If we if we start building relationships now, uh, we'll uh, we'll be better off when they do separate from service. Um, Where I really where I'm really proud of, of of being associated with this organization is one, truly identifying kind of the science behind the magic, right? So so it is absolute magic what happens between the workout and the huddle. It's very powerful. It's very cathartic. But there's a reason for it. Right. And being able to articulate the reason so that that people understand that there's method behind the magic, you know, I think is really, really important. And I'm really proud of that. Um, I'm also really proud of how uh, we pivoted uh, as a 501C3 in a time of COVID within 72 hours of being locked down. uh, We adapted our entire program to be done online uh, virtually. And uh, have actually gained members, and 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 been very consistent, and been a consistent um, organization throughout. Um, we've we've increased our partnership, so I'm really proud of the resiliency resiliency we've shown at a time when when so many 501c3s are going to struggle uh, through COVID. Um, and 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 quite honestly, there's good reasons, right? I mean, pe- there are people who have who've lost their jobs, who are in financial difficulties, who are in emotional difficulties. Um, but I'm really proud that our folks um, kind of went with the flow, figured, it, figured the solution out, and were there to serve uh, our membership and continue to adapt, right? So, so uh, and we have places where uh, restrictions are not as strong as they are, say, in California or New York. So we do have members who, not an official part of MVP, but who do get together and go on hikes and practice social distancing during those hikes, Um, get together and, you know, do bike rides or just see each other and do their own Zoom calls. So I've been really excited about how well we've adapted to uh, a time in in our history where the world gets to feel a little unsure. And I think that Athletes and veterans tend to adapt to chaos pretty well, but I'm very proud at how we adapted to this.
2: So you mentioned that MVP has five centers right now, um, but that most of it's online. Does that mean that people around the country are able to join MVP since it's all online or is it still mainly just around those five locations? No,
0: actually. So we have, uh, if you go to um, mergingvetsandplayers.org and you go to become a member, you'll see a region. And if you click onto that region, it'll send you to the closest chapter to you. And we have people, for example, in, New, in the New York chapter right now has people from New Hampshire and Virginia and, you know, Washington, D.C. It's not just New York and Connecticut. Um, Atlanta has people from Florida and Louisiana and all over. So, so we're really uh, serving all parts of the country. And we, we even have some international folks who come on. So yes, we have um, five specific chapters. Yes, you can be anywhere in the country right now and participate and join MVP. Um, And when we lose restrictions, when restrictions ease and we start being able to be in person, we have already got a plan to do a hybrid model that people will be in person and people from anywhere in the country and most likely anywhere in the world can dial in and participate as if they were right there. We've already, we've already piloted it. It worked great, and we're going to execute it as soon as we open.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that ability to adapt, you know, comes from the, the leadership of MVP and, and the goal and just really the passion you guys all have from that. Um, you mentioned you did a lot of consulting for um, leadership and development. Uh, you actually have a, a book, um, A Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown. Um. So I think we're going to ask you probably a couple more questions about leadership. But to start, uh, what is your definition of leadership?
0: So I got and I got two. Uh, I got two books.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get to the other one later. <laughs> yeah. I had it down. Uh, yeah, um, Meditations yeah. of an Army Ranger. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm really, in that as well.
0: I guess I'm excited about that one because it, it's funny. The the you know a light in the darkness was written um, because I had a a very good friend at the time say if you're going to do consulting you have to have a book. Um, and so it, it took like three years to write that book because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and it wasn't a labor of love. Uh, the second book took me like eight months to write because I absolutely wanted to, to write that book. Um, my definition of leadership is, is, is quite honestly to inspire others to be the best version of themselves. Um, there's, you know... It's too easy to focus on the, you know, the, the vision and the actual action that you're trying to get people to accomplish. What you really have to do as a leader, what you really have to do is you have to inspire people um, to overcome their fears and, and become the best versions of who they are. And what's amazing is if we, put a, if we put them in a box and say, well, that's probably the best version of them, they'll never leave that box. But if we say, wow, I think you have the ability to do anything, um, let me help you, let me resource you, let me convince you, they, you know, they will absolutely startle you with how far they go. Um, and I think that's something that most leaders um, forget is they forget that uh, the capacity of their people is only limited um, by the leader themselves. It's the leader's job to get them out of kind of the box and say, no, no, I I know you can do this. What else? Show me, show me, do more. You can do this. You know, tell me how I help you. And I think um, that's what, you know, whether you're a coach or whether uh, you're the CEO or president of an organization, um, that's your job.
2: So, for you, um, in preparation for this interview, I watched your TED talk, and oh, I thought I thought your um, your line on the difference between motivation and inspiration was fantastic. Would you mind uh, sharing that with us for our listeners?
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, that means at least you and I have watched it, so it's two. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so, uh, look, you know, there's there's plenty of, of of people who will give you great answers of difference between motivation and inspiration but you know I'm not uh, there used to be a joke there's smart rangers and strong rangers and I can lift a lot of stuff Um, for me I can't motivate in a negative way I, I or I'm sorry I can't inspire in a negative way I can motivate in a negative way motivation is based in fear right um, Whether it's the carrot or the stick, I, the stick—it's obvious that there's fear of the stick. But when you use the carrot, there's fear that you're not going to get the carrot. I can't inspire in a negative way; it's just impossible. And you know, even when you look at the at the root uh, Latin of those words, right? Uh, motivation motif comes from the Latin to move, to physically move, right? Um, inspire means to breathe life into or to breathe fire into holy cow there's a big difference in that right i I can move you mean that i can pick you up and and put you where i need you to be uh, or i can breathe life into you and you move in directions that no one ever thought possible and i think that we get intimidated because when we think of inspirational leaders We think of Martin Luther King. We think of John F. Kennedy. We think of Gandhi. We think of Churchill. um, We think of Joan of Arc. We think of Mother Teresa. um, And we think of, oh my gosh, I could never be one of those people. But what those people all did was they gave people hope that what they were asking them to do was worth doing and they could do it. And trust in that they were going to be with them every step of the way. And they were going to resource them. And if they fell, they were going to pick them up. And I, I always look at John F. Kennedy, you know, he tells the country, Hey, we're going to go to the moon. 63 years earlier, the Wright brothers flew a plane. 63 years later, he says, we're going to the moon. And we all went, yeah, let's go to the moon. That's amazing. That's inspiration. And it it really just comes from giving your people hope and trust. And if leaders focused on providing hope and trust for their people, Instead of the action that they're trying to get them to do, they'd be much more successful in the action.
2: So I think it's, it's a lot easier for someone or who's getting into leadership to try to lead by motivation just because in itself, leading by inspiration, where do you find the inspiration in order to do that? Um, how did you like grow your ability to lead by inspiration?
0: Um, you know, it, 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 it's an ongoing process. Uh, it certainly was a full uh, lifetime of, of, of working for and with um, some of the, the best leaders that a, a person could ever meet. Um, non-commissioned officers in the military taught me what inspirational leadership looks like because non-commissioned officers have to lead uh, they not only lead the people below them, but they lead the people who are in charge of them and they lead the people to their right and left and they do so seamlessly. And so I watched a lot of non-commissioned officers who truly um, showed me what inspirational leadership looked like. Um, and then I, I, I also worked for some great officers who showed me that. And I think that I'm constantly looking um, at leadership from, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a guy, I, I think I've read two leadership books, both by the same guy. Um, because I, find I, start most of them and I can't, you know, I just don't, I don't think they're very good. I think what helps me with leadership is I look at, um, the physiology of the brain. What's the brain doing? Because I think if we can understand people, uh, then we can lead with inspiration. Um, if we don't understand people, um, then I don't know how you lead because people is, as a leader, people are your business. You know, manager, you manage things, right? You manage money, you manage equipment, you manage your time. You don't manage people, you lead people. And leadership has to be about your people. It has to be people over everything, as, as, uh, as my partner in uh, Pedromos Leadership and I, uh, Jim Stagnita It's about the people you're working with Um, and we have to understand them. So I think that if you want to be an inspirational leader, you got to figure out what brings your people hope um, and what builds their trust uh, in you and you got to, you got to do more of those things.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we've had a couple of different people who have books on leadership or, or different ideas on leadership on this podcast. And I think the one thing that I always come back to is we're leading people, um, which makes it so hard because not everyone tries to empathize and understand the people that we're leading. And then you can't you can't inspire at that point if you don't understand or, or empathize with them. Um, and these are some of the things I believe you talked about in uh, Meditations of an Army Ranger, which is your second book. Mm-hmm. Um it, it, it's about living a motto and, and a culture, a different culture than most people currently do now. Could you talk to us about that book and some yeah. of the everyday philosophies for for everyone?
0: Yeah. So, so for me, it's about, it, the first piece is it's about taking philosophy out of the halls of academia and putting them back in our lives where they belong. Philosophy was not meant to be studied in college. It was meant to be lived. Um, and we got away from that. And when we look at the great Stoic philosophers, they were all warriors. They had all seen the best and the worst of mankind. So for me, I, I learned so many things uh, in almost a decade of combat that I wanted to share. I, I looked at the world very, very differently than I, I did when I, when I first went into the military. And um, it, it was it was really about creating a philosophy that that people could look at and that and, and i didn't care if they they say well i'm going to live this philosophy as long as they thought about their own philosophy right I, I call it a warrior philosophy for everyone i think everybody can have a warrior philosophy a warrior mindset which is I, i'm going to do what needs to get done and i can do that and i'll do what it takes to do it i don't i think i don't think you have to be a, a military person to do that I think you have to have a mindset that is that is okay things will be hard and I'll get through them Um, I will fail more than I succeed and I will learn from that Um, and I will work to make the lives of those around me better Um, and look it's aspirational right our philosophies on life have to be aspirational so they that we have something to strive for and we're going to screw them up we're we're gonna get it jacked up uh a lot right and but but the goal should be we identify when we jack up and we work harder to get it right and we go okay i won't make that mistake again or i see where i made the mistake right because because we have to have a philosophy to live our lives by otherwise we're just kind of going along and philosophy has to be thought about, right? It can't just be a bumper sticker. Um, you know, get some uh, is, is not a philosophy. It's, it's just a bumper sticker. What, what it has to be is, okay, why do I do the things that I do uh, for what purpose? And am I being thoughtful and deliberate in the execution of that purpose?
1: Yeah, I wish I, uh, I wrote that on one of my philosophy 101 exams. I think they uh, I don't know how my teacher would have taken it. But it definitely <laughs> sounds definitely sounds a lot better than whatever I wrote about um, in the, the academic stick. And, you know, I think that was one of the things I really appreciated about looking at your book was, you know, take it out of the classroom and the textbooks and, and actually think about what it means and how we're supposed to live our lives. So how did that really how did how did you know you wanted to write a book about this? Was there a moment that um, made you think, oh, okay, you know, I think people need to hear about this, or I want to help tell people about my point of view? Is there Was there one moment for you that led to you writing this book? You know, it started with
0: a, a page of things that I used to write on a whiteboard to help with leadership. And what I realized is that this stuff really made up the philosophy of of how I was living my life as, a, a, you know, how I lived my life as a leader, how I lived my life as a warrior and how I live my life as, as, as a civilian now. And, um, you know, this time I was like, you know, I really want to share these ideas because they're, they're a little paradigm shifting. Right. I mean, even today I talked to the joint war college, a class in the joint war college. And we, we had this discussion about lead by example. And I told them, I don't believe that there is such a thing as lead by example. I think you can set a good example and then lead. But if you lead by example, what are you really doing? You're just setting a good example. You're taking care of yourself. Leading is active. Leading by example is passive, right? So so there's this, this idea that just challenges us to think about, am I setting a good example or am I leading or am I setting a good example and leading? And, I, and, there's, and we have to challenge our thought process to, to constantly learn and to constantly get better. And that's really what, you know, as we look at, at the philosophers, whether you're, you're talking about Sartre or you're talking about uh, Seneca or um, Marcus Aurelius, it, it, these, were, these were folks who, who looked at life and said, I think it's this way because this is what makes sense to me. Um, you know, excuse versus reasons, you know, the, the biggest difference between an excuse and a reason is who's getting it and who's giving it, right? A reason to you could be an excuse to the person you're giving it to, but to think about what truly makes something an excuse that we won't accept as opposed to a reason that we will accept is something that we have, we have to think about, or something as simple as the phrase and, and, and again, this is something that came up in a, in a, a talk I, I gave recently, which was saying to your children, I'm disappointed in you. Probably something that anybody who's a parent has probably said, and you know what? One of the worst things we could possibly say. The idea should be, I'm disappointed in your action or I'm disappointed in your choice. I'm never disappointed in you. I'm proud of who you are. Because when we say, I'm disappointed in you, that's in their innate being. That's in their whole. And that's not the case for parents. We're disappointed in a, in, in a, in a decision, a choice, an action. We're disappointed at a specific thing. We love our children and are proud of our children. But being able to, to think that through, that's philosophy, right? And, and it doesn't take... You don't have to go get some, you know, PhD to do that. You just have to think about what do my words really mean? Um, What, what am I really trying to say? And, and again, I'll go back to, um, you know, and you said it beautifully, you have to have four traits. You have to have humility, loyalty, empathy, and curiosity. Uh, And if you have those things, then these things become kind of natural. You go, ah, you know what, if I say it, maybe it, maybe it feels bad to that person. Let me, let me talk to them and, and ask some questions and, and, and think that way. So um, I think it's really important that, that people start to think about philosophy because there's so much bumper sticker philosophy out there, right? And a lot of it comes from a misunderstood military, right? So for example, and I'm working on my third book, which is Meditations 2, let me ask you guys, how do you feel about the word quit? Is it a good word or a bad word? Somebody quit something good or bad.
1: I think, uh, I think in general, I, I would say, and I guess we'll have Colin answer it as well, but I would say quit definitely has a negative connotation, but I think there are valid reasons for quitting. If it's, if it's making a, a choice between two things.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Colin, yeah. I mean, I was going to go with the same thing. It has a very negative connotation.
0: Yeah. So, so for me, um, I always thought you don't quit, right? That's what got me through ranger school. It's what got me into the ranger Regiment. It's what got me into the asymmetric warfare group. I never quit. You know what, though? There are times to quit. There are times when what you're doing is bad for you and bad for your organization. So to not do it is a deliberate choice. And do you know what the root of quit is? To set free. The Latin means to set free. Now, what if we made quit, not this idea of of its negative, especially for kids, right? Kid is playing sports and he's got a really bad coach or he's got teammates who are horrible and he says, I want to quit. And you go, No, you can't quit. You're letting everybody up. You know what? You're a child. Maybe you maybe setting you free of this pain, we can find another place for you to build resiliency. You don't need to build that resiliency here. And you know, I totally look different at, at the word and the idea of quitting, right? But I, I guarantee I can find a whole bunch of military guys who will espouse this philosophy of never quit. You know what? If you never quit, I'm not sure that your life is going to be
1: so awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a lot to think about, and it's certainly you know, growing up, you you absolutely hear you know, don't quit, don't quit. Uh, figure it out work through it so that's that's definitely something I never really thought of before and it's it's a great point and I'm sure I could go on and talk with you about philosophy and some of your ideas all day <laughs> um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna rotate over I think we have one last question um, as someone who spent you know, 20 years in the military and now still works with veterans um, the name of the podcast is the American Valor podcast and so we're curious what is your definition of valor it's a great question my definition of valor.
0: You know, I I think um, I I saw it um, I saw it all the time uh, in in the military, right? And I think um, I think we think it has higher connotation than than what it can um so so in latin uh valor means to be strong um and uh, it comes from valere. and i think that you know obviously it has come to mean you know ha- having courage in in battle and, and and great courage but i think there are small acts of valor every day um sp- small acts of strength that we can look at and, and, and be proud of, right? Um, doing something for someone else, doing, doing something that, um, that makes somebody else better. Um, you know, I think there are obviously, you know, and I, I got to watch, uh, you know, men and women who I, who I hold in very high regard have, you know, high achievements of valor and what i think we ought to do is you know well while i think we kind of throw around the word hero too much i don't know that we throw around the word valor enough um if if we really take it back to its root of of being strong why would we not talk to talk about you know a mother who has you know three kids who are now home because of covid not in school and plus all the things she's doing and maybe she's a single mom and she gets through that day. Why can't that be a small act of valor? Why can't that be something that's, that's, and again, we don't all have to cheer it. We don't all have to say, wow, or give her a medal. I, I, I just think we can appreciate valor for what it is. So I think there are obviously the acts of valor that warrant extreme recognition. I, I, I think of, you know um the men and women uh, that i've served with i think of uh men and women that put them put themselves in danger every day to preserve freedoms or safety for others um but i also think there's just everyday valor of you know yeah somebody had a rough day or or somebody who who is powerless to drugs and alcohol, and they stayed sober again for another day. Why can't that be a small act of valor? Um, And these small acts of valor, where they're probably less worth talking about, and certainly doesn't make you a hero, it can certainly be internally celebrated, and maybe a little bit, you know, in a a small version, externally celebrated.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think then the people listening to this and, you know, if you include that uh, in your next book uh, segment or thought on that, you know, I definitely think there are small acts of valor in in everyone's days um, that might not necessarily make the headlines, but you know, to them, it's a big win. Um, And that that was our last question. I think it's a great thing to end on. So um, JC, uh, thank you again for joining us. and, And we really appreciate all your insight and talking about your book and leadership. Well, I want to thank you for, for having
0: me on. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely honored to, uh, to be included. I know that, uh, that you usually interview people much more accomplished than I and So I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very humbled that, uh, that you had me on. Thank you.
1: Yeah. We appreciate your time again. And and hopefully we get to, to see all the great things MVP is doing moving forward. Well, thank you. And, uh, know please let us know please let your you know your listeners know
0: if they're combat veteran or former professional athlete and uh or they just like to get involved uh it's mergingvetsandplayers.org and go to become a member and click on your region and somebody will be with you in 24 hours